Over 30 years of serving the Arizona homeowner. 13 years in a row ranking Arizona's best referral network. RosieOnTheHouse.com. Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. It's Rosie on the House. Come on in, y'all. Pour yourself an eggnog. Have a seat. You can even use my favorite chair right over there. Make yourself comfortable. Saturday morning in Arizona, it's Rosie on the house. Every Arizona homeowner's happy place. No matter where you are in Arizona or no matter what you're trying to do about your house, home, castle, or cabin, feel free to give us a call and talk to us about your project and see if our 48 years of building and remodeling in Arizona might be able to help you in one way or another. Maybe we could recommend a particular tool. Maybe we could recommend a particular product or a tactic or a tradesman's tip. We'll share all that information with you, and it's free. All you've got to do is call us at one 767 4348 Give us the privilege of using our experience and put it to work for you. If you're a newcomer to Arizona or you've been here all your life, it doesn't matter. Give us a ring at one 767 4348 Now, occasionally we bring guests into the studio um, that I'm highly, highly envious of. And this morning is a perfect example of that. If I could be dictator for a day or king for a day, I would appoint myself as the mayor's office official historian. But they didn't do that. They appointed Steve Schumacher. <laughs> Steve, thanks for coming in and joining us, buddy. Oh, my gosh. How Rosie. do you get that title? I oh. want that job. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You're making me lift up off my chair with that kind of praise, actually. Um well, interestingly enough, uh, I've been kind of nudging the mayor and hinting to the city council and so forth. Uh, they've always been interested in the history of our city, but I said we need some kind of clearinghouse, point person, something, whether it be me or somebody else. And quite honestly, I've been hinting and nudging for about three years. Okay. And then uh, all of a sudden, about six weeks ago, I got an email from the mayor asking if I would like to do this. So it's a very exciting opportunity for a historian like me. And when they structure this job description, do they ask you to be familiar with uh, European white settlement forward or... How far back does the official? What is it? Let's see. Let me get this. Let me get this right. The, this is his title, folks. I'm not kidding right. you. The Phoenix Mayor's Office official historian. Right. How far back does yeah. the mayor want you to go, Steve? Well, given my memory situation, Rosie, <laughs> I just remember Moo M O O H, and that helps me get okay. through it when I have to introduce myself. Well, you know, the mayor and I both really liked to go all the way back to the Hohokam days, which is well over a thousand years ago, and Pueblo Grande is a good example of the, that civilization because that's really when Phoenix started. One of the one of the most undervisited, underutilized museums in all of Maricopa County. Agreed. Every Maricopa County resident should go through Pueblo Grande 
multiple times. I, oh, I agree. I know the whole staff there. They're incredibly customer service oriented. And yeah, you pretty much anywhere you walk around the valley, you're going to be walking on parts of the Hohokam civilization. We're so blessed and so lucky to have the remnants of Pueblo Grande. And it isn't that much different. I mean, you follow you follow the Salt River, the Verde River, the Gila River. I mean, it was the rivers that were the corridors of civilization. Mm-hmm. The Santa Cruz, the San Pedro, you know. Right. Yeah, and personally for me, uh, even though I'm very interested in that whole culture and that community and I can speak to it, uh, the people of Pueblo Grande do a fabulous job of that. But what's the missing piece that I try to focus on is when the Anglos came in in the mid-1800s and so forth because that's a really forgotten and an underappreciated piece of our history as well. We have a farmer move in that wants to start planting alfalfa for the for the cavalry, right? The right, horses. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they were tr- they came in and and settled around the north end of the airport and started growing crops. Right, alfalfa, barley, sell it to the uh, what was Camp McDowell, Fort McDowell yeah. at the time, and some of the miners up in Wickenburg as well. So now. What would you want people to know? What would surprise people about the history of Phoenix? Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, I've been digging into this for a long time, and I feel like I've only scratched the surface with maybe 10% of the history. And there are some really, really neat uh, pieces. One that I was just communicating with somebody the other day is that if the Anglo settlers in the mid-1800s had their way and if they'd been successful— what we know as Phoenix today would be about where Tempe is. Okay. What was driving that? Uh, well, again, the river. It was right there by the Salt River, and they chose a spot right across from what became Hayden's Mill. Yeah, sure. Right there about Mill Avenue and, and the riverbed. And that was just a spot that they thought they could carve out a ditch and a canal to get water off the salt. But they ran into a big piece of limestone and uh, either didn't have the dynamite to blow it up or didn't have the money to work it through. So they moved down the river to just north of the airport. And at that point, of course, the river is flowing year-round. Right, 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 exactly. So I think that's pretty neat in that, yeah, our city hall might be about where uh, the Mill Avenue Bridge ends today for Phoenix. Well, one of the reasons we uh, tracked you down was to just talk about Arizona Christmas traditions Mm -hmm. and uh, historical traditions that we've kind of been, and we were talking in the first hour with Mr. Harper, fourth-generation Arizonan, their fourth generation into cooking their Harper tamales every year. So what what are some of the Christmas holiday traditions? And folks, if you all would like to join the conversation with your Arizona traditions or your story on Phoenix or Arizona history, give us a ring this hour at one 767 All right, traditions. Yeah, well, I as I've researched this and just paid attention and, and balanced all of that off of my own experiences, one of the things that we do that a lot of the rest of the country doesn't do is we brag about sunshine on Christmas <laughs> Day. I mean, who hasn't sent an email or called friends in Chicago or New York or Boston 
this time of year and bragged and said, hey, you don't have to shovel sunshine. How you doing? And um, that is one of the common things, I think, amongst us in the in the Southwest is we tend to not only boast about the weather this time of year, but a lot of our traditions take place outside, where in Minneapolis, Minnesota, you're not going to go outside and do a lot of parades when it's six below zero. So a lot of our traditions take place outside, whether it be parades or putting lights on saguaro cactus or experiencing the desert botanical gardens and so forth. So a lot of our a lot of our traditions take place outside because of the wonderful weather we have this time of year. And the great thing about Arizona is if you want a snow experiment, a snow event, I, mean, I had to drive to Greer Thursday. I mean, once I got from Payson on, it was it was covered. Mm. Oh. It was beautiful. Yes. And and every reservoir side of the uh, Mesquita Lake and every, every reservoir I saw was full to the brim. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine in the area says that his rain gauge registered 17 inches this year since January. That's great wow. news. Wow. That's great news. Wow. My sister-in-law has a home up in uh, Heber, and she said yesterday it was six degrees and snow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we in the valley, we don't have snow, so we cover everything with lights this time of year <laughs> since we don't have snow to cover stuff. And we've certainly got a, more than a few places you can go out and see lights, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I, um, when it comes to the history, of and traditions vary, of course, and I think indoor traditions with trees and gifts and big dinner and so forth, I think that's that's pretty much the same uh, around the country. But the outside traditions, one of the first that I came across that you could consider a tradition was the whole idea of parades. Because even in the <laughs> late 1800s, Phoenix, yeah. I mean, we didn't have the internet. Entertainment was, was uh, not very big. Right. And so we did a lot of parades down Central Avenue, Adams, Washington, that kind of stuff. And put put big decorations across Central Avenue. If anybody's seen the movie Psycho, there's a scene where she's sitting there in the intersection and you can see all the decorations going down Central Avenue. Right here in little humble Phoenix, Arizona, right? Psycho, right, Psycho, exactly. home of Psycho. Yes. You've got Glendale Glitters. I know that's outside exactly. of Phoenix proper, but that's a big event. That is a big event. And it really started uh, after downtown was trying. They were Downtown Glendale was trying to go through a resurgence and bring back the downtown shopping areas. This has been about 30 years ago. And so they strung up a lot of lights there in Murphy Park, and it did bring a lot of people down. And a couple of things that have happened because of that, it gets so crowded now <laughs> that a lot of the business or businesses are not getting the business they would like. So it's kind of had a little bit of a reverse effect. But initially, it did bring a, people, a lot of people downtown to experience that. Another light festival whose success has has changed its format is the Winter Haven subdivision down in Tucson. Okay. You know, and <clears> it's <throat> become so popular, they don't allow you to drive your car through there. You have to take a trolley or a hayride or walk it. Okay. Because the traffic was so extensive. But that's okay. it. That's 6 to 10 every night. And so, that's, a, that's a neighborhood, a subdivision? Yeah, a whole okay, subdivision. Okay. The HOA insists if you're a title owner of a lot and a home in this HOA, you will decorate at Christmas. Oh, is it, it is an right? HOA requirement. <laughs> and Jennifer and I have walked the kids through uh, Winter Haven a couple times. Okay. 
a, a spectacular right. event. Yeah. So you've got Winter Haven, then then back up in Maricopa County. I mean, how could you forget the zoo lights? And we'll talk about what zoo lights started as and what it is today when we get back. We're here, believe it or not, folks, we're here with Phoenix Mayor's Office Official Historian. Man, I love that title. Mr. Steve Schumacher. We'll be back right after this. Here we are. In the holiday spirit, y'all out shopping right now. If you're stuck on I-17 because it closed, (laughs) just relax. It's the holiday season. If uh, you're driving through parking lots and people are stopping your progress by pushing carts in front of your car, relax. It's the holiday season. And make sure you return your cart to the cart corral when you're done okay all right so everybody slow down um it's like it's like they tell professional athletes the more you can slow your game down the better you're going to be so slow your life down a little bit watch for the stitches on the incoming fastball when you're concentrating that hard on the moment tends to be a little bit more enjoyable so in melting your anxiety away a little bit we've brought in the mayor's, the Phoenix mayor's office, official historian, Mr. Steve Schumacher. We're talking about Arizona traditions for the holidays. And we were, we've been talking about uh, the Glendale glitters. And I wanted to talk about zoo lights because we saw zoo lights 25 years ago. And we thought they, we thought they, we, we, we brought the kids and we thought they put that all up for us. It's a. It, it's become quite the event. Oh my goodness! Uh, you talk about a tradition. Uh, I every year. Um, it seems like about September. One of the TV stations interviews the guy who's in charge of putting all those yeah. up, and it's like September they start doing that. Yeah. Because I think they have something in the neighborhood of over three million. It's a bunch lights, and it 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 started out with just one little piece of the zoo, like thirty years yeah, ago. Right. right. And now it covers something like all 125 acres with 3 million lights. It's, it's an amazing a undertaking. Great family event. Absolutely. Really. It and, is. and they do the same thing in Tucson down at Reed Park. Okay. Same yeah. thing. So yeah. they light it up. And then, of course, you've got the Wait, botanical. I do have a tip for the Oh, here's a tip. So it does last till the, through December and into January, some. Okay. Go after Christmas. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be wonderful. But if you go beforehand, you might have a hard time keeping track of your little ones. It's just like a sea of people uh, flowing through there. So I think it's a little more enjoyable. Speaking of slowing your life down, there's your tip. And you're talking in particular about zoo lights at Phoenix Zoo. Yeah. 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 And on the there's a couple places. I don't remember what they're called, but you can actually drive your car through it and then you tune your radio into a certain station and the lights dance with the music as you're driving through these. Mm-hmm. Janice, our accountant, took her grandkids last year and said they went like three or four times. Well, there's a church on the on the north end of the uh, 101 that does that. And I think there's also one down by Rawhide that does that where you can just drive through. It's kind of a nice way to keep from having to. There used to be one on 17 on the east side of the road, like north of Happy Valley, but that's a condos now. <laughs> <laughs> or you could get your sister to fly your family around, and you could just look at lights from above. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did that last night. That looked like ideal. <laughs> that was last night's adventure for uh, Katie and the kids. 
And and then the Desert Botanical Garden, I think, is this was a spectacular one with the luminaries. Yes, exactly. That's, that's very Arizona. That's incredibly Arizona. That and that goes back, I think, eighty seven or seventy eight. No, nineteen seventy eight. So it's been around a long time. And yeah, I think they have something like eight thousand luminarias placed along the paths and so forth. And um, when I was a kid, several of our neighbors out on the west side in the Maryville area, they would actually put those out along their sidewalks and driveway as well to to bring oh, that yeah. tradition into our neighborhood. Yeah, like the like the landing strip for the sleigh. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. They have a lot of cheaters now. You can put those little battery operated candles in there. You don't have to <laughs> you don't have to light them. But um, for the Desert Botanical Gardens, the lights are so enjoyable. The night sky is so beautiful. And they also have music yeah, all different kinds of music as you walk through, and you can stop and get cider. And then, Steve, some of those mm-hmm. uh, buildings on that property aren't they pretty old as well? Um, there's one where they have uh, like a little symphony that plays in there, and the building seems to be the old adobe. Yeah, there's there's several that go way back. I know I've got some old photos of some of the administration buildings and so forth that. They don't go back to pre-territorial days, but they're in the 20s and 30s, some of the early administration buildings. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, the 20s and 30s is really old for our part of the country as well. And that style of building as well, just the really thick, thick walls. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, it is different what we call old from what other parts of the country. We we have the honor of, of... remodeling what they say is the oldest home in Paradise Valley. Nice. It That's was, the... Built in 1928. Lon <laughs> McGargy, right? That's right. Yes. That's right. It's okay. an adobe home and uh, built in 1928. So Good for you. That's that Good by, for you. By, by many standards, by others in the country, that's not a very old home. Just replace old with classic. It yeah, sounds it much better. <laughs> it is. It is. And then we've got other projects uh, all over the state. We've got Prescott's Arizona official Christmas city that lights the square. If you haven't seen that, that's worth a trip up and experience that for sure. What else have we got going? Um, oh, and this month's Arizona highways has a bunch of specials. And then we got a tree that has quite a reputation, an iconic decorated tree. And I want to talk to you about that when we get back. Okay. Because 17 is closed right now, there's not going to be many people see it today. <laughs> well, it's closed at Union Hills for an accident. You yeah. can, if you're getting around loop, on the... Loop around it. <laughs> catch the 101 and get on the north side of that accident. to spread the holiday spirit for all of our Arizona homeowners. Welcome back. We've got special guest here in the studio, Mr. Steve Schumacher, the Phoenix Mayor's Office Official Historian. If you'd like to join the conversation, the lines are open at one 767 4348 Well, Mr. Steve, we were going to talk about a particular iconic tree mm. uh, known to most of us here in Arizona. Scrubby. 
Right. Yeah. What a tradition. How many of us have, at least if you know about it, you look for it up around Sunset Point, whether you're going to Flagstaff or Camp Verde or Prescott, whatever. And um, yeah, it's just been a tradition for over 30 years. I don't know that they've still ever figured out who goes out there and decorates it, but somebody does in the dark of night and and it's just wonderful. I've heard rumors it's Students at NAU, but I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it continues to be a mystery, absolutely. Hey, do you guys want to hear a little clip of Dolan Ellis singing his scrubby song? This is this is a this is by the official Arizona Balladeer Dolan Ellis about the official Christmas tree on I seventeen. Out in Arizona, there's a story to be told. Scrubby the little cedar tree that grows beside the road. I-17 to Flagstaff from the desert down below. And a random act of kindness by some secret caring souls. Each Christmas someone sneaks out there in the middle of the night. And decorates old Scrubby with Christmas balls so bright. It brings a smile to every face that passes by that sight. Yeah, Scrubby becomes a rock star, and for him, this song I write. Scrubby. You, you know, Scru- Dolan came in with us during no our seven o'clock hour. Yeah. And sang that for us in studio. So we have that clip. But he also wrote a book to go with the story, and you can find that on his website, Dolan Ellis. Uh, just look, just research goldenlust.com. And I, I also stuck that up on Facebook so you can find it. But it's a great little gift and a great way to preserve that little piece of Arizona history for your family. I cannot remember when I first started seeing that tree decorated. Does anybody in the studio know when that tradition started? Well, my understanding, it's been in the 30-year neighborhood, it, yeah. Yeah. right? Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But, yeah, I remember seeing it. I always look for it this time of year. I think it got more elaborate over time, too. I don't think I really yeah, yeah, cued yeah. into it at first, and then, you know, five, ten years, it just kept getting more and more pronounced. I would love to know who gets out there and gets away with getting that without getting caught. It was threatened by fire. Well, I think it got, I think a fire killed it. I believe uh, so. The, yeah. the granite uh, Daisy Mountain fire crew stopped the fire from burning the tree. But the tree itself is dead, so I think the smoke from the fire around it oh, really? it out. Because I mean, there there's no green left on it. I've, I've, I'm 99% confident the tree itself is it's still standing. It didn't topple over, but all its foliage is gone, and it's just the the wood uh, bark structure remains. And you know, it, it it could stand there another 10 years like that. Now it's going to become a tinny shoe tree. <laughs> Those aren't near as cool as No, the they are tree. not near as no. cool It'll be interesting to see if the secret little crew of angels that decorated every year Can find a replacement for maybe we can find a scrubby too uh, Steve, what can you tell me about the Christmas tree that makes it to the top of Camelback Mountain every year? Well, again, there's who, a Who did that? Well, I, I don't know the guy's name It's another one of these He tends to want to remain anonymous But about 10 years ago um, He decided he was going to hike up Camelback Mountain And put a place, a small tree up At the top of one of the trails Up on one of the high points of Camelback Mountain So it's kind of become a tradition Although the park's Service does not really appreciate him doing it because 
it brings a lot of people and safety becomes an issue and so <laughs> forth. But several years ago, he not it, it was so popular around this time of year that he would actually hike up there with a Santa suit on as well. And that would draw even more people and kids. And so safety has become an issue. So I think the I think the parks uh, department for the city kind of frowns upon it, but people really love it. Well, and that trail closes at 5 or, or at dark, so it would be hard for him to sneak up there at night to get it done. Mm-hmm. But I saw another tradition. Um, Legally. I think it's just gotten – yeah, right. <laughs> just got started. But so a couple of girls and I were um, hiking out uh, – Rosie helped me out by Four Seasons. What's that trail? Uh, one of the desert trails north of town. But – Pinnacle Peak. Yeah, we looked up, and there was like 12 people dressed like Santa. I mean, full-gear Santa, hiking together. That was so much fun, so much fun. I think that would be Yeah, I believe you were on the Pinnacle Peak Trail that day. Yeah, that was really cool. As I remember. Well, other uh, Arizona holiday Christmas traditions, of course, we talked a little bit about it in the 8 o'clock hour, is tamales. Tamales, yes, absolutely. how, How did that get started as a tradition? Well, my, uh, my understanding was uh, when the, the Spanish conquistadors came into Mexico, however many years ago, um, they outlawed sacrifice because up until that point, uh, the population of Mexico sacrificing humans to the gods was part of their traditions and rites and so forth. And the Spanish outlawed that. And so the the Mexican people at that time believed that corn had kind of some human aspects because it fed people and and they stayed healthy by eating corn and so forth. So they put corn into tamales as kind of a replacement for the different sacrifices that were then illegal. So Ever since then, even though we don't, a lot of us don't really know that the tamale we're eating is a substitute for human sacrifice, that's really how it evolved. But now, I remember as a good kid. Good trade. Right. Yeah, that is a good trade. In South Phoenix, um, I remember I was working at a A.J. Bayless there, and there was a guy every time, at this time of year, he would open his panel truck, the rear, and have a big pot of tamales and sell them for a quarter each, and... Yeah. It's a neat tradition. I like that as well. It is. It, it is a very neat tradition. What what are we going to carry into the future? What what traditions are going to continue? The, I, I would have to believe some that we've talked about today are just going to – I don't know how any of them can grow much bigger than they are, but they're certainly mm-hmm. going to continue. What can we start as a new tradition? Well, that's, that's a good question as we project out. I know there are some that, are, that haven't been around very long. One that I just recognized the other day is uh, that ice skating rink downtown. Yeah, yes. They call it City Skate. It's in that cityscape area, so it's a takeoff on that. And uh, knowing the tradition in New York City, of course, with the skating sure. rink down Rockefeller there. Center. Right, exactly. So I look forward to that because what a great opportunity to take your kids down there and go ice skating. Who would ever think outdoor ice skating in downtown Phoenix? So I'd like to see that one continue. That would be a cool one. Right, and um, Alice Cooper, for the last 10 years, he's had, what does he call it, Christmas pudding? Christmas pudding show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's been doing that for about 10 years, and it's a big concert at Celebrity Theater. I don't know how much of a Christmas slant it really has, other than the name. 
but that's one that continue. I, I think the luminarias at uh, Desert Botanical Garden, I really don't see that going away. No, at I all. hope not. Yeah, yeah, they could actually keep that going all year round and just change the music <laughs> and the and the refreshment. You know, right. it's really that cool to be out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the zoo lights as well. Mm-hmm. That's just taken off, and it's got a got a world of its own this time of year. We were mentioning all the different places: zoo lights, botanical gardens, different neighborhoods. One of our partners, Vaughn Payne, sent me a text, and there's a drive-through nativity scene uh, tonight and tomorrow night, six to nine at Lindsay and Elliot, so there's one more added to it. Something, it, it wouldn't really apply to Christmas, but I tried to get, um, gosh, who was the old radio personality that was at the Congress or the House representative for a little while? Um, you you're talking about Ed Phillips? No, pa- the, I passed that. Not Hayworth. No. no. Sam something or other up but in Prescott? I told him. Arizona needs a too pretty to work day because you have snow days all around the country, <laughs> yeah. and we could use it as a ploy. And you know, it'd have certain parameters. It couldn't be on an already existing holiday. You know, temperatures between sixty-eight and seventy-two, and you could just declare a voluntary. Hey, it's too pretty to work day, and companies and schools could or couldn't participate. It'd be volunteer to participate if they could. But I think, um, I think this week would have qualified. Uh, there was a couple days this week. Some beautiful pictures of the snow on Four Peaks taking Especially the after pass. the rain and the fresh mm. fresh air after that. It was two years ago, Jennifer and I jumped in the car about the first week of January, and there was so much snow on Four Peaks. There were cars parked all along uh, Beeline Highway with people sledding. Uh, Jay Lawrence. Oh, okay. That's yeah. who I was trying. Right. He, From Fountain Hills? Okay. Yes. That's who I was trying to get to to start the the law process on that <laughs> but they had uh, they had highway patrol up and down uh beeline highway trying to get people off the, they were just parked right there on the side of the road sledding uh all right there around sunflower anyway that was a that was a that was a too pretty of a day to pass up for sure if so, i might interject for a second rosie one of the traditions the oldest that's been around is in chandler where they have a tumbleweed tree, and it's really tall. And every year they they install it downtown and light it and everything. And, and it got started in the late 50s when the city decorations that they were going to put on the streets and the light poles and so forth, the building that was housing those decorations caught on fire and they all burned. And the mayor, very inventive and creative, said, well, let's get some tumbleweeds. We'll make our own tree. And they put the lights on it, and and residents participated and so forth. And that's been around since the late 50s, and every year they do that. That whole center is just worth a trip. It's got, it is. It's got lovely shopping. Our partner, Divine Gourmet, is down there in that little center. The lights are great. The decorations are fantastic. And is it the San Marco Hotel? That's San down Marcos, there? yes. And it's historic. What Do you have any idea how old that is, uh, Steve? It's beautiful. It's worth going down there just to... Well, in the lobby. If it's not 100 years old, it's approaching it. it. It's right there. Right. You're right. Right. So what does – so other than the holidays when Rosie calls you and makes you work on your day off, uh, what does your typical work day look like as the Phoenix mayor's office official historian? (laughs) Well, the first month and six weeks has – 
been fi- filled. Oh, that, I should say with, that you were the first inaugural. Oh boy! I mean, <laughs> they they've created a post for you. You're the first inaugural Phoenix Mayors. I mean, the first to fill a position can write their own job description, right? Yes, yes, pretty much. Uh, even though the mayor and her chief of staff put a, a scope of work and stuff together, uh, they just pretty much told me, Steve, if this works for you, great. If it doesn't, then just change it. So they're very loose with how we're going about it. But in the short run, as we all know, at least most of us do, the Super Bowl will be here on February 12th. And Mayor Gallego, for those that haven't had the pleasure of meeting her, she's a very forward-thinking person. And she is looking forward to using the week prior to the Super Bowl to showcase a number of our historic locations around the valley. Well, we're going to need to take a break right here. But when we come back, I want to talk about what she has in mind for that, okay? You bet. Good. When we get back with Steve Schumacher right here at Rosie on the House. Doing what we can. Doing Doing what we can here at Roselle now to spread the holiday cheer. We're here with Mr. Steve Schumacher from the city of Phoenix. He is the mayor, the Phoenix mayor's official historian. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things the current mayor would like to do leading up to the Super Bowl, because that's probably got you kind of busy. If she wants to highlight Phoenix, um, You've got some things, uh, some things on your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. It's interesting. The first time I met the mayor in person after she made this appointment, she looked straight in my eye and said, "Steve, whatever you're doing, please be here the week before the Super Bowl." And I said, "Gladly. That's fine." But she really wants. There's going to be over five thousand credentialed press people in the valley the week leading up to the Super Bowl, and she wants to take that week and uses an opportunity to showcase a lot of the historic locations downtown, like Heritage Square, the Rawson House, the Orpheum Theater, the historic San Carlos Hotel, Carver High School, Tanner Chapel, uh, Pueblo Grande as well. Okay, good, good, good. And and what will y'all do? Y'all will take media through uh, uh, city-provided bus tours and— well, How are y'all I, setting that up? Well, a lot of it is focused because there will be a lot of events downtown during that week as well. And the thinking is primarily for walking tours and even to the point of getting some QR codes and embedding them in some of the historic locations so people can just turn their phone on and get some more information about that location. Haven't really thought a lot about bus tours and so forth. That takes a lot of staffing yeah, and, yeah. and so forth. But um, but walking tours, people will be downtown. All right, great. Well, it will be a spectacular. You know, that's only going to bring more people. She knows that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, the Waste Management Open, the Super Bowl. I mean, anytime you've got a live TV shot of the Phoenix Valley of the Sun in January, uh, that that's like an open invitation card. <laughs> It absolutely is. No question. Yes. No question. It's going to be our Mardi Gras for Phoenix. Like, there's more people that leave New Orleans to get away from the crowds that come in from Mardi Gras <laughs> natives. That's, like, going to be our 
January is going to be the Phoenix native time to go skiing in Colorado for Mm -hmm. two months to let all that craziness happen. Very much so. (laughs) She also mentioned to me that uh, there's also going to be a really large contingent of international press folks as well. So this is not just for our country. Because with the the NFL playing in other countries, there's an interest now as well in the Super Bowl from other countries. You know, Steve, just between you and me, when the rest of the world finds American football, they're going to forget about soccer. (laughs) Talk about mysteries. I don't know why that's played out like that. And I don't know because I did hear last week um, there there may be – that may not be true because if you wanted to watch – Okay. A bunch of guys run around on the field and not score all day. You could just watch the Broncos. Oh. Oh. I'm glad you said the Broncos. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to come in and share with us some of the Arizona traditions and some of the Phoenix history that and we've got going. One of the things we didn't mention in the way of light shows, uh, I mean, the Mormon Tibble does an incredible light mm. demonstration. Forty years, they've just would go way beyond expectations. And how did Phoenix get its name? I've always loved that mm. story. I don't think it's shared enough. Well, it um, the person who gets credited the most with that is a guy named Daryl Dupa. He was he was born in Paris, but he was an Englishman. And uh, the romantic story that I like to tell is that Jack Swilling, who dug the first ditch, Daryl Dupa, some of the other miners who came down from Wickenburg, they were all sitting around on the ruins at Pueblo Grande drinking whiskey and decided they need to come up with a name, and they came up with Phoenix as a bird rising from the ashes. And it was them rebuilding from the old Ho-Ho-Cum. Exactly, yes. if they hadn't come up with that name, I've also heard... It was going to be named Pumpkinville because of all the leftover gourds that were uh, just continued to grow from again the old ho ho cum. So I think uh, I think Phoenix is a lot better than Pumpkinville. I agree. <laughs> I agree. There was others considered uh, Selena for the Salt River, Stonewall. Jack Swilling was a Confederate um, soldier, so he opted for that. But Phoenix is a good choice, and it's stuck. And I agree with you that that this is Phoenix. It's it's not Pumpkinville. <laughs> now, um, when your term in this office turns out, um, are you appointed the responsibility of appointing your successor? Well, that's still to be this is determined. A trick question, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> He's putting his name in. I that. see. I can see that. Yes, I'm, that's I'm the only house LinkedIn. I'm, I'm positioning here. I'm right. positioning. A twinkle well, in the eye tells you. <laughs> Well, what's interesting in talking to the mayor about how she came about making this decision in the first place, she and her chief of staff are very, very honest and said said um, they made the position with me in mind because of my passion. So we'll just have to see how my successor comes about. <laughs> Steve Schumacher, thank you so much for joining us my this pleasure. Saturday morning at every Arizona homeowner's happy place, Rosie on the House.